Let's continue to worship the Lord together with the reading of God's Word from John, Gospel of John, and this time chapter 15. So John chapter 15. Beginning in verse number 12. Jesus, he's speaking to his disciples. The night before he's crucified, and he says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what the master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all that I have heard from the Father I've made known to you, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Let's pray together. Father, now we ask for grace, having read your word and the Holy Spirit um, would help us understand from this passage what you want us to understand from this passage, why, why the Holy Spirit inspired the Apostle John to write these words and record these words so that all these years later, from the moment that this happened, that we could read them today. And I, and I really ask that we wouldn't be hearers of the word only and so deceive ourselves, but, but understanders, believers, and then doers of, of your word, especially when it comes to actually being friends with Jesus, and in light of that, friends with other people. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, of course, you, you may be seated. I think I've told you before, I'm, I'm just pretty bad at sermon titles. And they always, when I read them, they sound so basic. But the title of this morning's sermon is Following Jesus in Our Friendships. If I were to ask you to um, stand up where you are, we're actually not going to do this, but stand up where you are and get in your car right now and drive to your very best friend's house, where would you go? Who, who is your best friend? Or maybe a couple of people come to your mind and you're going to show up there and, and then simply ask it this way as, as we begin kind of influence does that person have in your life? And, and really where we're going more is, is what kind of influence do you have in their life? Is that a person who's becoming more and more like Jesus in light of being friends with you? It's a huge statement that Jesus says there. I don't call you servants anymore. You're not my employees. I call you friends. And in some way, this whole sermon is an introduction to communion that we'll observe later on because that is what communion is. We who were God's enemies are now seated with him at his table as his friends. That's amazing grace that God has given to us. I remember uh, really vividly when I was in the fifth grade, middle of the school year, our family moved from Fayetteville, North Carolina, where I had lived all my life, lived in the same house my whole life, and moved to this town, Rocky Mount, North Carolina, and I started middle of fifth grade year over at Benvenu Elementary, and one of the clearest memories I've got is that first day, and you know why I remember it so well? Because I didn't know anybody. 
I mean, I'd gone for my last day in Fayetteville in a classroom surrounded by people I knew. Many of them were my friends to showing up first day of school. And I can still remember walking around the hallways and, and being looked at by people who knew they didn't know me. That's just a weird feeling. And you do the sidewalk thing or side, you know, kind of glancing. I want to make eye contact. I know you, you don't know me and you know that I don't know you. I mean, it was stressful. Couldn't wait to get home. I was an introvert already. Now I just doubled down on that. First day, I didn't really speak to anybody and hardly anybody spoke to me. It was grueling. It's not good for a person to be alone, is it? God said that about Adam before the fall. It's not the way that you're made. We're not created to sort of be autonomous, not, not made to be friendless. And one of the most frequent complaints people have living in our culture right now is a lack of real friends. And that's due in large part Because we don't do friendship well. And apart from Jesus, we don't really even know what it is. Now, we're kind of losing all of the abilities and skills that require time, attention, and devotion, right? In the same way, you kind of want to microwave a meal, three minutes, punch the popcorn button. Does anybody punch the popcorn button for everything? I kind of just punch the popcorn button and see where we are when it ends. And then want it to microwave it and make it taste like a, a home-cooked meal. We kind of do that with friendship. Just want it to happen quickly. But it's not the same, is it? As followers of Jesus, we don't need friends who are Christians so much as we need real deep Christian friendships. And there is a difference. Friends who are Christians are just, you just happen to spend time together. Christian friendships puts the Christ in the friendship. So we need people who really know us, really love us, really pray for us, really help us, really encourage us. Hey, who correct us. And here at the table of John 15, Jesus looks at his followers and the way he describes them is that you're my friends. But notice what he says. Real love is when someone lays down his life for his friends. So the basis of friendship can't be somebody else will lay down their life for me. That's not the basis of friendship. Jesus says greater love, you really love people, they lay down their life for their friends. And Jesus is literally about to do that. You know, a little bit earlier in John, in John chapter 10, Jesus had said, I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. And there's an echo of this here in John 15 when he, I'm paraphrasing him a little bit, but hey, you know what the Father's up to because I've told you. And one of the things the Father's up to is he's come to restore you to real, true, abundant life. Is your life abundant right now? And then particularly on the matter of friendship. Would you say that you are enjoying friendship with other people the way that Jesus desires that you do. Now, um, is unabundance a word? Can somebody help me out? Well, Jesus came to give us abundant life. 
one of the very first places unabundance is evident is in our relationships and in our friendships. And hey, can we just all agree the pandemic has really affected our relationships, hasn't it? Unforeseen ways uh, sort of sped up, honestly, what seemed to already be happening in the culture. Again, uh, Genesis 3, the fall, to, to rightly understand what the fall is, is that the creation, Adam and Eve, sought to equate themselves with the Creator. It's not about biting an apple. It was Adam and Eve saying, hey, God, we'll be God now. We're good. We don't need you. And, and sin makes us try to live as God, and that really affects how you treat other people. Instead of loving other people, you'll begin to use other people. Genesis had said, uh, Genesis 2, before the fall, that, that God had created Adam and Eve in his own image and gave them dominion over the other animals, right? And over the, you go read Genesis 2. But what sin sought to do is Adam wanted dominion over God himself. And the implication of that, you can see it, you go read Genesis 3, is that now the created people seek dominion over one another. Here's the history of the world, friends. From the fall on, we seek dominion over where we are not given dominion. And that happens in marriage, it happens in friendships, it happens among nations. That's the history of the world. Jesus now has come in to restore us to how we're actually made. And one of your greatest needs really is real friendships. And this matters because what's Jesus doing here? Kind of put some thoughts together is he's got his, he's got his disciples. He's established that he's going to lay his life down for them because God's desire is to be friends. He's come on friendship terms. And now how does the gospel spread? The gospel actually spreads most effectively on the pathway of friendship. People who sit at your kitchen table. People that you love. People that you encourage. Your relatives that don't know Jesus. How, how are they going to come to know Jesus? Most likely on the basis of you being a friend to them the way that Jesus has befriended you. Well, if you've got an outline and want to follow along on it, we'll start here. Uh, that Jesus knows better than anyone how to live in this world. So, so again, the fall, uh, Adam and Eve created man and woman, sought to be God. They staked a claim to be and do what he is. Now, how has God responded to that? The creator has come in the person of Jesus, in the incarnation, as a person, as a man. So in attempting to rise to God's status, y'all, not only did they not achieve God's status, they actually also forfeited their humanity. That's why we treat one another the way that we do. So, so Jesus knows better than anyone how to live in this world. I love Christmas, don't y'all? I'm, I'm kind of sad it's come and gone. Some people talk about listening to Christmas music too early. I'm still listening to it now. I don't know if that's early or late. But I love Christmas because we should celebrate it all year because it celebrates the birth of one who is utterly unique. Jesus is not created. He's the creator. He came in the incarnation. He, he was not born under the stain of original sin. That's why the virgin birth matters. He's different than anyone else. When he's born in Bethlehem, he's not created. He's incarnated. He's utterly unique. He's not born in Adam. He's not born naturally selfish and sinful. The way that you understand the doctrine of original sin is, did you ever, if you have children, did you teach them to be selfish? 
No, you have to teach them to, from killing each other. One grabs a toy, the other goes for the throat. Do you ever have to teach a child to lust? Anybody ever teach you to be angry? Of course not. You have to restrain from natural inclinations. But Jesus isn't that way. And he demonstrates how a person should really live in the world. I gave this uh, illustration last week. I'm not actually going to pick up Blake's guitar this time. Truth be told, I had a hard time putting it back down in the proper place. I can't even pick up the instrument. But, but Romans 8 says the Creator has subjected His creation to futility. And just as an example of futility, futility would be me picking up that instrument and trying to play a song. Couldn't do it. Now, think about this. All it would be would, would be noise, right? Now, what if you got two people and they stood side by side? Don't you see the noise just increases? God made you for music, sin has twisted us that all we can do is noise. Now, here's what we've done. Another callback to an illustration I used. I can't play the real thing, but I can pretend. Any Guitar Hero players? Maybe we'll bring that out with Mario Kart, February 27th. Do you know what Guitar Hero is? It's a video game. And it, mo- I don't want to say mocks, it kind of mimics real guitar playing. And here's the truth of the matter. I, 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 I'll challenge Blake. I could beat him in Guitar Hero. I know I could. I'd score more points. But this isn't real. And this is what we do with friendship. How God designed it, it's only noise. So we change it. So that we can do it and pull it off. But I just want you to know what God has created is so much better than what man designs. So much better. It's what you're actually made for. And your heart's going to be restless until you, until you find it. Now, Jesus shows up on the scene and he plays beautiful music. He's the creator. Now, he, he knows better. And, and, and then also on your outline is the pattern of Jesus' earthly friendships points us to how friendships flourish. That means that we can look at his life as revealed in the Gospels and understand how we should approach everything in life. Now, uh, let's be careful with this. I'm not suggesting that you see what he does and then you go and do it. The Bible is pretty clear about this. Left to yourself, you can't do it. In fact, Romans 8 says, The mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. So, just real quick, I'm not going to give you a bunch of things and say, Now, go and do it. That'd be no more help than you watching Steph Curry shoot and I say, hey, next Sunday you go shoot like him. You can't do it. Not on your own. But here's the promise of the gospel. Jesus has paid the penalty for your sins and then the Holy Spirit comes to reside in you and then begins to work in your life in such a way that now you both want to and are enabled by His might to, to do as he does. Does that make sense? We, we must be born again to enter the kingdom of God. And the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us and begins to reshape us and renew us, begins to teach us the chords. Here's where your fingers actually go. Here's what music actually sounds like. And, and that affects our minds, our desires, our preferences. It affects everything about us. And God is reconciling us back to himself. Look at how this paragraph we've read 
begins and ends. Verse 12, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. In verse 17, these things I command you that you would love one another. And look at John chapter 13. Got little headings in your Bible? This is the context of the conversation. Jesus washes the disciples' feet. And then look at the head uh, title of John chapter 19, Jesus delivered to be crucified. Right? That's what love is. You lay down your life in the unglamorous ways like washing feet and then in the huge ways of actually going to the cross. So what type of relationships do we see in the life of Jesus? I gave this as a part of the outline a couple of weeks ago, but I want to return to it because I I'm, I'm really want God to help me to live in the world as Jesus has lived in the world by the enabling might of his power in my life. Amen? I hope that's your desire as well. And if you were to, to, to read the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you'll observe pretty quickly that relationships were Jesus' priority. That's important because most likely you're not often told that relationships are the priority. You're told your, I mean, here in America, your, your schedule is the priority. Man, I didn't realize how tied to my schedule I was until I went to another country where schedule wasn't the priority, where these little things called watches that dictate to me everything about my life, nobody wore them in these other places. And everything was just sort of an estimate. Yeah, I'll be there in such, such and such time. And I'm there. I'm on time. Nobody's there. But what I realized is, relationships aren't the priority to me my tasks are what was the priority for Jesus now listen he wasn't aimless and he was getting more work done than anybody but people were his priority now in sin your priority is yourself not laying down your life that's the last thing you would do now your sinful self most often tells you yourself is the priority and that's why relationships are stunted, starved, and stopped if self, your own self, is the center of your relationship with other people. Are you friends with other people simply on the basis of what they can do for you or how they help you? This matters, y'all, because the gospel, again, the good news of God reconciling other people to himself is shared mainly through relationships. So the relationship has to reflect the news. Does that make sense? I mean, if we're going to talk about a God who sent his son to sacrifice himself, that news has to come through a person who is sacrificially loving other people. So what do we observe from the life of Jesus? First of all, you see absolute devotion to his closest friends. Absolute devotion to his closest friends. Last Sunday we studied right from Mark 1. Uh, Jesus arrives and says the kingdom of God is at hand repent and believe the gospel and then he walks up to to Andrew and Simon and then James and John and says follow me so just again quick recap that order is important the kingdom of God has arrived that's just the news your response needs to repent and believe the gospel and then he says follow me far too many people got that twisted up trying to follow Jesus without having repented and believed in him and that's man that's trying to play the song without having the spirit and that's just more noise right now think about Andrew and Simon and James and John today where are they right now they're with Jesus you know why only one reason he was absolutely devoted to them 
It is not because of their devotion to him. So I want to free us all up. You don't have to spend your whole life trying to balance the scales. I'll be friends with him or her, sacrifice for him and her on the basis of how they first or consistently sacrificed for me. It's not friendship. Not the way that Jesus is talking about it. But can we just be honest? Man, that's, that's tricky. Jesus sticks with them. You know about Andrew and Simon and James and John? You can read about them in the Gospels too. Jesus sticked with them but never approved of their arrogance. Remember, they'd always fuss about which of them is the greatest. Never approved of their pride, their arguing. He never justifies their faithlessness, their forgetfulness, their denial of him. He doesn't befriend them on the basis of what they can do for him. He's devoted to them unto death. Now, you contrast that with how quickly we discard friends. Somebody does something, unfriend them. I mean, kind of social media way and otherwise. Just done. So again, if I asked you to drive right now to the, the home of your closest friend, is that a person that you're going to stick with? Often our closest friendships are built on something in common. The best possible friendships in life are built on having the kingdom of God in common. And we only get in the kingdom by grace. So doesn't it make sense that you would sustain your friendships on the basis of grace? As Jesus is devoted to his friends, what does he demonstrate? Patience, forgiveness. But he's never not devoted to the truth, right? Allegiance to the kingdom. Willing to sacrifice for them. Constantly serving. Now, I think an obvious barrier begins to be when we feel like we're doing all the serving, right? I'm willing to put other people first, but do I have to do it all the time? Right? <laughs> Can I get a little bit? Now, here, here's the deal. Um, Jesus has been a friend to you in such a way that you don't ever have to look to other people for what you've already found in him. So that frees you up now. Not needing constant approval. Not needing a scoreboard. Hey, Jesus' scoreboard said he paid it all. I'm in the kingdom by his grace. So I'm actually freed up in the world because my citizenship is in another kingdom. I'm no longer trying. Now, now if you're building the kingdom of self, yeah, keep the scoreboard. But if you're living for the kingdom of God, you lay your life down. Now, of course, of course in no way are we saying that that you, that you get walked all over in an ungodly way or, or, or abuse or anything like that. But Jesus is devoted to a small number of friends in, uh, in, in James and John and, and Peter. You're not able to have dozens of close friends. You just don't have the capacity for that. But you do need to be devoted to a small number of friends that you can count on at all times. You know what the proverb says? A friend loves at all times. There's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. 
So, so you see that Jesus is absolutely devoted to his close friends. And, and next you see that he's got intentional pursuit of the overlooked, the outcast, members of a community. Hey, we're in John. We don't have to go far to see this. Turn with me to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. John chapter 4 verse 9 says, The Samaritan woman said to Jesus, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And then in verse 27, Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, What do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? What's going on here? Jesus has intentional pursuit of the overlooked and outcast members of a community. You should live your life in a way that uh, the religious legalists every now and then kind of raise their eyebrows and say, oh, that's who you're talking to. That's who you're sharing a table with. Interesting. Intentional. Intentional pursuit of the overlooked and outcast members of a community. The woman at the well, Zacchaeus, lepers, Gentiles, Mary Magdalene. Also see from his life, he's got regular conversations with people from different backgrounds. Regular conversations. Speaking with people, not about people, right? And he's never watering down, obviously, his conviction of what he believes the truth is. So let's be alert to this, friends, the current trends, current dangers. We talked about this recently. I think many of us signed up for social media in the last 15 years or so, thinking that it was going to be a great way to communicate. I mean, in in our generation, people are a little more spread out. you got family members living in another time zone, and you just signed up for one of these social media platforms to see their children grow up or to connect to somebody you went to high school with. And so great in theory, but... Something happened, didn't it, along the way? Promise didn't quite pay off. You know, in, increasingly, uh, research is saying something about the last 10 years, and when I describe it, you'll probably say, hmm, that's, that, that does sound accurate. Th- think of the relationships you have in three rings, like concentric circles. That middle, that, that ring closest, the first ring, the people that are in your family, and you're closest friends, like a small ring of people, and you love them, and they love you, and you regularly interact. And, and, and then the outer ring, the third ring, researchers call it, are uh, the people that, well, you're around regularly, but you don't really have a deep relationship with. Maybe people that you work with, and you say a polite good morning, or so on and so forth, or a neighbor that you see every third month, and you just kind of nod. And then there's the middle ring, and that's what I want to emphasize for a moment. The middle ring used to be the friends that you would see civic club or the ball team or church. And in the last 10 years, y'all, that that middle ring of relationships is kind of blown up. But here's how God made you. He made you for friendship. So when that got twisted talking broadly now we went online to find that middle ring and the results of that 
is they often align you with other people who are already in total agreement with you. And now that's who you hear from all the time. So I do want to emphasize to you that I I do believe God's wired you for in-person relationships more than online. You know, online you don't hear some of the nuance. You don't always see a facial expression, tone of voice. You probably have this happen. Sometimes you get an email and I'm like... Are they mad or what? I don't know. Here's what Jesus said. So full of wisdom. If your brother has something against you, anybody know the next phrase? Go to that person. I, I don't think that means, I think that means in person. I do encourage you to spend more of your relationship time in person than online. I do think it's helpful for your soul to ask regularly, does the time I spend online lead me to think more highly of the kingdom of God and love other people? Or is it having a hardening effect on my heart? Hey, Jesus willingly went to dinner at the house of a Pharisee. He listened to a Roman centurion within his own 12 disciples as a tax collector and a zealot. Different backgrounds but he never departs the kingdom of God from doing so. Oh, the kingdom of God is unshakable. You don't have to worry. Is the kingdom of God coming down? No. The gates of hell are not prevailing against the kingdom of God. And we see from his life, he's got time set aside for eating with friends and outsiders. You have two God-given needs for food and for friendship. And I think you do well to just recover putting those two things together. Sit down at the table with friends, in person, outdoors if you want to sit out in the sunshine. And one of the most effective tools for gospel ministry in the coming generation, I'm convinced, is your kitchen dinner table. Sit down at the table with people. Talk about tithing 10%. Would you consider tithing your time? got 30 days a month, roughly. I know February's a bad example of that. But generally speaking, you got 30 days a month. So if you tithed three nights a month, could, could you spend one eating at the table with fellow followers of Christ, one sitting at the table with people who don't know Christ, and one combining the two? It'd be time well spent. Jesus was criticized by the religious legalists who said, He eats with sinners. Praise God He does. That's communion. He'll sit down at the table with us. There's an old saying, you probably heard it, but I, I, I think it's true. People don't care what you know until they know that you care. So again, you've got God-given needs for food and for friends. Put the two together. Feed your body and your soul at the same time and do that for for other people. Hey, it's not a coincidence that that's the picture Jesus gave us about the gospel. Communion, the Lord's table, a promise and a picture of the gospel. And we also see from his life that he prioritizes care for the poor and the needy. 
If the poor and the needy are not being helped, then we're not being the church. It would mean that we're not living with kingdom of God priorities. I want you to read with me from Matthew chapter 25. So if you're in John, you're going to flip back a couple of chapters to Matthew chapter 25. And uh, the great benefit of us reading this is we're going to read about a moment that you're going to be at. This is going to be a moment in your life that's going to come. And I just want you to see, be helpful that you see that from uh, ahead of time. A little bit longer passage of Scripture, but I just want you to hang in there with me and let's read it together. Matthew chapter 25, beginning in verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Before Him will be gathered all the nations. You're going to be there. He will separate people from one another. As a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger, you welcomed me. I was naked, you clothed me. I was sick, you visited me. I was in prison, you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see, this, see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer, the king will answer, truly I say to you, As you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, you gave me no food. I was thirsty, you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, you did not welcome me. Naked, you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, you did not visit me. Then they also will answer saying, Lord, when, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? He will answer them. Saying, truly, I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. There's so much there, but I want you to see it came as a surprise. It came as a surprise. Wait, what? Prioritizing. God, give us grace to believe what we read true. You're going to be there. Are you ready? On that day, uh, I have nowhere to hide but in Christ. Nowhere for shelter but in Christ. And, and the best indicator that I will be in Christ on that day is that I'm doing what he says on this day, today. In, in all relationships, Jesus took the initiative. On your outline, God-honoring relationships are, are built and, and not found. I think over and over we just want to find things, right? We just want to find them. 
I want to find a fruitful garden without weeding and working. I, I want to find a, a, a healthy church that's spiritually mature and fruitful without, without doing the work of prayer, of inviting to dinner, of, of the work of forgiving. Friends, uh, we don't find friendships that are deep and abiding. We build friendships that are deep and abiding, doing the work that is required. Here in uh, John chapter 15, Jesus makes an emphasis. He says in verse 14, you are my friends if you do what I command you. So it's not up for us to define what friendship with Jesus looks like. He defines it for us. You do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. When you were little, your parents would tell you to do something, and you would ask them why, and what would they often say? Because I told you so, right? Told you so. What's Jesus saying? He's saying, do what I command. And if they were to say, well, why? He doesn't just say, because I told you so. He says, I've revealed everything about the Father to you. You know why. Why? Because I love you. So, do you think when they get it, that they're not his servants, they're his friends, that they work less diligently as friends than they had as servants? Does that make sense? In other words, when he opens their understanding to say, you're my friends, their work ethic doesn't diminish. It increases because he's at work in them. They do now, and I would say we should now, work differently. Following Jesus is not punching a clock. He's my life. And we'll close by Emphasizing the heart of God towards people was clearly seen at the cross. Greater love has no one than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Several years ago, I was uh, at one of the hospitals in Raleigh, and uh, one of our members that had a pretty significant uh, heart surgery. So I arrived to, to, to visit and I went thinking the surgery had been the day before. When I got there, I'm not sure what happened, but the surgery had just happened. And, and the church member was in a part of the hospital where there were no visitors. But the lady there at the desk, I was holding a Bible, and she said, well, are you a pastor? I said, well, yes, yes, I'm a pastor. She said, well, I think you'll be able to visit. So she gave me some instructions. You go through this door and you hang a left and then something else. And I've always been terrible with directions. So I go through the door and I hang a left. And then I hang a right and I keep walking. I do, I do actually, no, this is what it was. I did find the person, prayed, read the scripture, and then I was leaving. Now I'm just following the exit signs. And I get on a hallway and I kind of feel like I don't think I'm supposed to be in here. And I'm just kind of looking around and... A physician comes around the corner and sees me standing there. Eyes get about this big. What are you doing here? I, I tried to make it a, some sort of explanation. I think I was in the surgery wing, and I was like, I think I was about to walk in on a 
open heart surgery. I shouldn't have been there. You got to get out of here. Yes, sir, I understand. And ushered me out, got back where I was, and made my way. Would have never had that response with someone who needed the surgery, right? But this is where you're supposed to be, of course. Churches can't be places where sickness is not expected. Can't be. Friends, that's legalism. That's pharisaical nonsense. We're not here to keep everything orderly and clean. Do you know what I'm saying? Why would the sick be here? The heart of God towards people is clearly seen at the cross. Servants work by the clock. Friends work by the cross. Lay my life down. How am I going to represent one who lays down his life without laying my life down? Of course. Yes, Father. And not begrudgingly, it is my honor. Isn't that, isn't that all the men and women of the Scripture, their lives? Isn't that Paul's life? Isn't that Priscilla's life? Isn't that Peter ultimately his life? The cross shows us that Jesus befriends us when we're his enemies, not when we're already his friends. I will be a part of the kingdom of God because Jesus chose to befriend me. Let's stand together. We'll pray together. We're, we're going to pray and then we're going to sing to the Lord. And uh, then I'll lead us in a time of communion. And, but this time of prayer and then, of course, our time of response and singing, I'd like for you to kind of set your heart on communion, sitting at the Lord's table. Would you pray with me? And Father, already we've seen from John 15 this picture of Jesus seated at the table with his friends. And by grace, there's a place at the table for me. Me. Father, our hope of standing on that day when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, our hope is that that same one who sits on that glorious throne hung on a rugged cross. Thank you for Jesus, that he's paid my sin debt in full, and I get to sit at his table, not on the basis of my own merit, but on the basis of your amazing grace. And may one of the places that your grace is most evident in our lives is, is in our friendships, how we treat one another. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.